Chapter Ten of *The Enemies of Books* by William Blades. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: Servants and Children. Reader, are you married? Have you offspring? Boys, especially, I mean, between say six and twelve years of age. Have you also a literary workshop supplied with choice tools? some for use some for ornament where you pass pleasant hours and is ah there's the rub is there a special handmaid whose special duty it is to keep your den daily dusted and in order plead you guilty to these indictments then i am sure of a sympathetic co-sufferer dust it is all a delusion it is not the dust that makes women anxious to invade the inmost recesses of your sanctum. It is an ingrained curiosity. And this feminine weakness, which dates from Eve, is a common motive in the stories of our oldest literature and folklore. What made Fatima so anxious to know the contents of the room forbidden her by Bluebeard? It was positively nothing to her, and its contents caused not the slightest annoyance to anybody that story had a bad moral and it would in many ways have been more satisfactory had the heroine been left to take her place in the blood-stained chamber side by side with her peccant predecessors why need the women-folk god forgive me bother themselves about the inside of a man's library and whether it wants dusting or not my boy's playroom in which is a carpenter's bench a lathe and no end of litter is never tidied Perhaps it can't be, or perhaps their youthful vigor won't stand it. But my workroom must needs be dusted daily, with the delusive promise that each book and paper shall be replaced exactly where it was. The damage done by such continued treatment is incalculable. At certain times these observances are kept more religiously than others, but especially should the book-lover, married or single, beware of the Ides of March— so soon as february is dead and gone a feeling of unrest seizes the housewife's mind this increases day by day and becomes dominant towards the middle of the month about which period sundry hints are thrown out as to whether you are likely to be absent for a day or two beware the fever called spring cleaning is on and unless you stand firm you will rue it go away if the fates so will but take the key of your own domain with you do not misunderstand not for a moment would i advocate dust and dirt they are enemies and should be routed but let the necessary routing be done under your own eye explain where caution must be used and in what cases tenderness is a virtue and if one eve in the family can be indoctrinated with book reverence you are a happy man her price is above that of rubies she will prolong your life books must now and then be taken clean out of their shelves but they should be tended lovingly and with judgment if the dusting can be done just outside the room so much the better the books removed the shelf should be lifted quite out of its bearings cleansed and wiped and then each volume should be taken separately and gently rubbed on back and sides with a soft cloth in returning the volumes to their places notice should be taken of the binding and especially when the books are in whole calf or morocco care should be taken not to let them rub together the best bound books are soonest injured 
and quickly deteriorate in bad company certain volumes indeed have evil tempers and will scratch the faces of all their neighbors who are too familiar with them such are books with metal clasps or rivets on their edges and such again are those abominable old rascals chiefly born in the fifteenth century who are proud of being dressed in real boards with brass corners and pass their lives with fearful knobs and metal bosses mostly five in number firmly fixed on one of their sides if the tendencies of such ruffians are not curbed they will do as much mischief to their gentle neighbors as when a collie worries the sheep these evil results may always be minimized by placing a piece of millboard between the culprit and his victim i have seen lovely bindings sadly marked by such uncanny neighbors when your books are being dusted don't impute too much common sense to your assistants take their ignorance for granted and tell them at once never to lift any book by one of its covers that treatment is sure to strain the back and ten to one the weight will be at the same time miscalculated and the volume will fall your female help too dearly loves a good tall pile to work at and as a rule her notions of the centre of gravity are not accurate leading often to a general downfall and the damage of many a corner again if not supervised and instructed she is very apt to rub the dust into instead of off the edges each volume should be held tightly so as to prevent the leaves from gaping and then wiped from the back to the fore edge a soft brush will be found useful if there is much dust the whole exterior should also be rubbed with a soft cloth and then the covers should be opened and the hinges of the binding examined for mildew will assert itself both inside and outside certain books and that most pertinaciously it has unaccountable likes and dislikes some bindings seem positively to invite damp and mildew will attack these when no other books on the same shelf show any signs of it when discovered carefully wipe it away and then let the book remain a few days standing open in the driest and airiest spot you can select great care should be taken not to let grit such as blows in at the open window from many a dusty road be upon your duster or you will probably find fine scratches like an outline map of europe all over your smooth calf by which your heart and eye as well as your book will be wounded helps are very apt to fill the shelves too tightly so that to extract a book you have to use force often to the injury of the top bands beware of this mistake it frequently occurs through not noticing that one small book is purposely placed at each end of the shelf beneath the movable shelf supports thus not only saving space but preventing the injury which a book shelf high would be sure to receive from the uneven pressure after all the best guide in these as in many other matters is common sense a quality which in olden times must have been much more common than in these days else the phrase would never have become rooted in our common tongue children with all their innocence are often guilty of book murder i must confess to having once taken down humphrey's history of writing which contains many brightly colored plates to amuse a sick daughter that object was certainly gained but the consequences of so bad a precedent were disastrous 
that copy which i am glad to say was easily replaced notwithstanding great care on my part became soiled and torn and at last was given up to nursery martyrdom can i regret it surely not for although bibliographically sinful who can weigh the amount of real pleasure received and actual pain ignored by the patient in the contemplation of those beautifully blended colors a neighbor of mine some few years ago suffered severely from a propensity apparently irresistible in one of his daughters to tear his library books she was six years old and would go quietly to a shelf and take down a book or two and having torn a dozen leaves or so down the middle would replace the volumes fragments and all in their places the damage being undiscovered until the books were wanted for use reprimand expostulation and even punishment were of no avail but a single whipping effected a cure boys however are by far more destructive than girls and have naturally no reverence for age whether in man or books who does not fear a schoolboy with his first pocket-knife as wordsworth did not say you may trace him oft by scars which his activity has left upon our shelves and volumes he who with pocket-knife will cut the edge of luckless panel or of prominent book detaching with a stroke a label here a backband there excursion three eighty three pleased too are they if with mouths full of candy and sticky fingers they can pull in and out the books on your bottom shelves little knowing the damage and pain they will cause one would fain cry out calling on the shade of horace to pardon the false quantity magna movet stomaco fastidia si puer unctus tractivit volumen manibus what boys can do may be gathered from the following true story sent me by a correspondent who was the immediate sufferer one summer day he met in town an acquaintance who for many years had been abroad and finding his appetite for old books as keen as ever invited him home to have a mental feed upon fifteeners and other bibliographical dainties preliminary to the coarser pleasures enjoyed at the dinner-table the home was an old mansion in the outskirts of london whose very architecture was suggestive of black letter and sheepskin the weather alas was rainy and as they approached the house loud peals of laughter reached their ears the children were keeping a birthday with a few young friends the damp forbade all outdoor play and having been left too much to their own devices they had invaded the library it was just after the battle of balaclava and the heroism of the combatants on that hard-fought field was in everybody's mouth so the mischievous young imps divided themselves into two opposing camps britons and russians the russian division was just inside the door behind ramparts formed of old folios and quartos taken from the bottom shelves and piled to a height of about four feet it was a wall of old fathers fifteenth-century chronicles county histories chaucer lydgate and such like some few yards off were the britishers provided with heaps of small books as missiles with which they kept up a skirmishing cannonade against the foe imagine the tableau two elderly gentlemen enter hurriedly pater familius receiving quite unintentionally a first edition of paradise lost in the pit of his stomach 
his friend narrowly escaping a closer personal acquaintance with a quarto hamlet than he had ever had before. Finale, great outburst of wrath, and rapid retreat of the combatants, many wounded volumes being left on the field. Postscriptum Although, strictly speaking, the following anecdote does not illustrate any form of real injury to books, it is so racy, and in these days of extravagant biddings so tantalizing, that I must step just outside the strict line of pertinence in order to place it on record. It was sent to me as a personal experience by my friend Mr. George Clulow, a well-known bibliophile and xylographer to ye set of ye odd volumes. The date is 1881. He writes, Apropos of the Gainsborough find, of which you tell in the enemies of books, I should like to narrate an experience of my own of some twenty years ago. Late one evening at my father's house I saw a catalogue of a sale of furniture, farm implements, and books, which was announced to take place on the following morning at a country rectory in Derbyshire, some four miles from the nearest railroad station. It was summer-time, the country at its best, and with the attraction of an old book I decided on a day's holiday, and eight o'clock the next morning found me in the train for C, and after a variation in my program, caused by my having walked three miles west before I discovered that my destination was three miles east of the railway station, I arrived at the rectory at noon, and found assembled some thirty or forty of the neighboring farmers, their wives, men-servants, and maid-servants, all seemingly bent on a day's idling rather than business. The sale was announced for noon, but it was an hour later before the auctioneer put in an appearance, and the first operation in which he took part, and in which he invited my assistance, was to make a hearty meal of bread and cheese and beer in the rectory kitchen. This over, the business of the day began by a sundry collection of pots, pans, and kettles being brought to the competition of the public, followed by some lots of bedding, etc., the catalogue gave books as the first part of the sale, and as three o'clock was reached my patience was gone, and I protested to the auctioneer against his not selling in accordance with his catalogue. To this he replied that there was not time enough, and that he would sell the books to-morrow. This was too much for me, and I suggested that he had broken faith with the buyers, and had brought me to see on a false pretense— this, however, did not seem to disturb his good humor or to make him unhappy, and his answer was to call Bill, who was acting as porter, and tell him to give the gentleman the key of the book-room, and to bring down any of the books he might pick out, and he would sell them. I followed Bill, and soon found myself in a charming nook of a library full of books, mostly old divinity, but with a large number of the best miscellaneous literature of the sixteenth century, English and foreign. A very short look over the shelves produced some thirty black-letter books, three or four illuminated missiles, and some book rarities of a more recent date. Bill took them downstairs, and I wondered what would happen. I was not long in doubt, for book by book, and in lots of two and three, my selection was knocked down in rapid succession, at prices varying from one shilling sixpence to three shilling sixpence, this latter sum seeming to be the utmost limit to the speculative turn of my competitors. 
The bon bouche of the lot was, however, kept back by the auctioneer, because, as he said, it was a pretty book, and I began to respect his critical judgment, for a pretty book it was, being a large paper copy of Dibden's bibliographical Decameron, three volumes, in the original binding. Suffice it to say that, including this charming book, my purchases did not amount to thirteen pounds, and I had pretty well a cartload of books for my money, more than I wanted much. Having brought them home, I weeded them out, and the weeding realized four times what I gave for the whole, leaving me with some real book treasures. Some weeks afterwards I heard that the remainder of the books were literally treated as waste lumber and carted off to the neighboring town, and were to be had, any one of them, for sixpence, from a cobbler who had allowed his shop to be used as a storehouse for them. The news of their being there reached the ears of an old bookseller in one of the large towns, and he, I think, cleared out the lot. So curious an instance of the most total ignorance on the part of the sellers, and I may add on the part of the possible buyers also, I think is worth noting. How would the reader, in this year of grace, 1887, like such an experience as that? CONCLUSION it is a great pity that there should be so many distinct enemies at work for the destruction of literature, and that they should so often be allowed to work out their sad end. Looked at rightly, the possession of any old book is a sacred trust, which a conscientious owner or guardian would as soon think of ignoring as a parent would of neglecting his child. An old book, whatever its subject or internal merits, is truly a portion of the national history. We may imitate it and print it in facsimile, but we can never exactly reproduce it, and as an historical document it should be carefully preserved. I do not envy any man that absence of sentiment which makes some people careless of the memorials of their ancestors, and whose blood can be warmed up only by talking of horses or the price of hops. To them solitude means ennui, and anybody's company is preferable to their own. What an immense amount of calm enjoyment and mental renovation do such men miss! Even a millionaire will ease his toils, lengthen his life, and add a hundred percent to his daily pleasures if he becomes a bibliophile, while to the man of business with a taste for books, who through the day has struggled in the battle of life with all its irritating rebuffs and anxieties, what a blessed season of pleasurable repose opens upon him as he enters his sanctum, where every article wafts to him a welcome, and every book is a personal friend. End of chapter 10 Recording by Maria Casper End of The Enemies of Books by William Blades